0: And it's been shortened to verse 41 to 47. Luke 7, one owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debts of both. Now which of them will, love, will, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house, you did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my feet, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she has loved much, but he who has been forgiven little loves little." May God bless his word. You may be seated. Thanks, Brett.
1: We're doing a series uh, entitled Coming Home. And we're looking at some of the passages where Jesus was invited into somebody's home. And looking at the impact he made at uh, the way people responded or did not respond to him. And looking at how that applies to us today. So today we're in Luke chapter 5 verses 36 to 50. Father, we thank you so much for the privilege of being in a church family where people respect your word. And where they respond to your word and help us again to do that today in the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus name. Amen. A long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, family life seemed to be quite manageable. Marriages worked well. Once upon a time, the North American family was taking a Sunday drive in their station wagon, down on a peaceful country road, all were headed in the same direction of common values and shared expectations. But that was over 99 billion hamburgers ago. Fast forward to the new millennium, where many homes resemble more of a demolition derby, and everyone's on a collision course. So how did this happen? What changed? And will we ever get back to the thrilling days of yesteryear? Well, I hope not. The truth is that back in the 50s, families had many of the same problems that we have today. The difference was that no one talked about it. There was a conspiracy of denial. People lived lives of quiet desperation, especially women. And what the 60s did was expose the flaws of the father-knows-best generation. The truth is, family life has always been tough. And that's why we need to invite Jesus into our homes. Because he's the one who can make a decisive difference. In Luke chapter 7 here, we have a description of what happened when Jesus came into a home that had some serious problems. Verse 36 says, Now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. We find out later on that Jesus had not received a warm welcome when he came into this house. All the customary courtesies of hospitality were absent. Jesus had been treated with intentional disrespect. So, what's going on here? What was this Pharisee up to? Was this some kind of a trap? Well, then a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. And she brought an alabaster jar of perfume, and as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. What a contrast to the cold reception of the host. The icy landscape was thawed by a warm Chinook wind. In those days, meals often took place outside in the courtyard. And all of the neighbors who had nothing better to do because Downton Abbey's next season wasn't on yet, they would just kind of walk around the town and if there was something going on, like a meal, they would stand there and watch the family eat. So she was out there somewhere in the audience, but she couldn't hold back and she decided to crash the party. In verse 39, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet... He would know what kind of woman this is who is touching him. That she is a sinner. So the trap had sprung. Jesus was busted. Exposed as a friend of sinners. An enabler. An accomplice to the crime. You see, I told you, Jesus was part of the problem, not part of the solution. Look at that. She's touching him. He's becoming unclean. And Jesus answered, Simon, I have something to tell you. Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he cancelled the debts of both. But which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt cancelled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not pour oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has Been forgiven little, loves little. The great physician diagnosed the heart condition of both his host and this uninvited guest. And in spite of her sinful past, Jesus declared her cured. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. Spiritually, this woman's heart had been toxic with sin. Her blood was poisoned by guilt, and there was no conventional treatment that could restore her to health. Not even a religion could help her. She was the classic hopeless case. So she was exactly the kind of person that Jesus was looking for, because he came to seek and to save the lost, all those who had absolutely no other hope. I wonder if some of you are perhaps in a hopeless situation. Maybe people have given up on you. Well, then you're exactly the kind of person Jesus is looking for. Because the great physician is a heart specialist who has perfected a radical treatment for the terminal. A treatment that is 100% successful. And this treatment restores hopeless sinners to full health. It's described for us in first chapter, or 1 John chapter 1 verse 9. Where it says. If we confess our sins. Then he is faithful and just to forgive our sins. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That must have been what this woman experienced. And this forgiveness is available to everyone. But we do have to ask for it by name. In the name of Jesus if we confess our sins. That means saying, Lord, you're right, and I'm wrong. I am a sinner. It is my fault, not somebody else's. It's my fault. I am guilty as charged. Please forgive me. If we confess our sins, not somebody else's, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us. That's what this woman experienced. And God loves to forgive sins. That's the opportunity he looks forward to the most. And it releases powerful surges of celebration that reverberate through heaven. And there's good news for us in this because it says God is not only faithful and just to forgive us, but to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Notice the word all. Following cancer surgery, you do not want to hear the doctor say, well, we got most of it, but we couldn't get it all. God never has to apologize. I'm sorry, we got rid of most of your sin, but we couldn't get it all. Everyone who comes to Jesus for forgiveness is cleansed from all. All unrighteousness. We are cured, 100% cured. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. That's the evidence of a complete cure. When your heart is restored to healthy circulation, you can pour out love without restraint." I can identify with uh, what this woman experienced because I spent my first eight years after conversion bitterly disappointed with God. I blamed him for everything and my sins were multiplied. But even then, they did not exceed God's grace. God still loved me at my very worst. And after eight years, he invited me to come back to him And it was amazing that he still loved me. So I I, I responded, I repented, and I was overwhelmed by his love. And it healed absolutely everything. It healed my my bitterness, it healed my self-pity, it healed my guilt, it even healed my inferiority complex. I was cured. You see, there's forgiveness, and then there's radical forgiveness. And that's what I experienced. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little, loves little. Now, Simon had also been forgiven, but since he was only an occasional sinner, he just needed a minimum amount of mercy. You know, not a thorough cleansing, cleansing, maybe a little dusting. Uh, Some tidying up once in a while. Besides, his religion had taught him how to keep himself clean. So he was a good man, but in the worst sense of the word. Because nothing is worse than having a disease without realizing it. Even though to others the symptoms were so obvious. But he who has been forgiven little, loves little. Simon had a serious heart condition. And his restricted capacity for compassion indicated the presence of critical blockages. That's why he was emotionally paralyzed. His heart was simply three sizes too small. He who has been forgiven little, loves little. And this is still an occupational hazard for believers. When you've been a Christian for a number of decades, you will develop some significant blind spots. From a mathematical standpoint, uh, we don't sin nearly as much as we used to. Oh God, thank you that I'm not like all other men, especially like this Pharisee. What I don't realize is that my sins now are far worse than they were then. Because I know better. My sins before were so obvious. Now they're camouflaged by good intentions. And that makes them far more dangerous. That's why I need to repent now more than ever. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. And the other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. One hundred percent cured. Is there anything more important than having a healthy heart? Well, the number one factor towards that goal is forgiveness. In Colossians chapter 3 verse 13, Paul says, forgive as the Lord forgave you. We receive forgiveness, but then we also render that forgiveness to others. That completes the health cycle. We are forgiven by God, and as He forgave us, we forgive others. And that's my problem. Can I be honest with you? Don't tell anyone this, but uh, I love being forgiven. But I don't necessarily like forgiving others. I don't. I would rather get revenge. Because it feels good. You know, Hollywood has made billions because of this feeling. There are very few movies about forgiving others. Most action blockbusters are about revenge. Because what doesn't kill you makes you want to get even. And when we watch these movies, we leave the theater with a good feeling because revenge feels good. Forgiveness? Not so much. Not at first, anyway. And that was my problem. You see, every family has dysfunctional tendencies. And in my family, it was bitterness. If someone offended us, we would take it to heart. And it became a deep wound with all kinds of internal bleeding. Now, if they apologized, we would probably have forgiven them. But most people don't apologize. There's too much pride involved. So if they don't apologize, we can't forgive them. And we don't forget. We memorize the offenses. Although we have trouble remembering people's names... We never forget an insult. Well, what do you do with all those memories? You have to store them somewhere. Guess where they end up? As time goes on, more and more of our heart is occupied and preoccupied by grudges until it turns into kind of a makeshift torture chamber filled with thoughts of revenge. In the dungeons of your mind, who do you have chained to the wall? And as the population density increases, there's less and less room for love to grow, and our compassions, they fail. I think a grudge has to be the most expensive emotion there is. Did you know that in Canada, to keep one prisoner locked up costs $117,000 a year? It's expensive, And likewise, grudges are costly to maintain because they have a voracious appetite. They demand to be fed, and the grocery bill alone can bankrupt us. And every grudge creates blockages in our heart that restricts the circulation of love and joy and peace until we have cardiac arrest. But what choice do we have? How can I forgive them because they never apologized? Well, fortunately, God put me in a safe place where there would be little risk of being offended. He called me into the ministry. God put me into the church. And like Raymond, you know everybody loves the reverend, right? Well, not exactly. In fact, if you can't forgive, you won't last six months in the ministry. You come home and say, Tell your wife, honey, these people don't agree with me. Well, of course not. They're Baptists. (laughs) If you put five Baptists into a room, you'll come up with six different opinions. So in a church, you will get hit by friendly fire. And if you can't forgive, you'll bleed out. As a pastor for over 40 years, I have a significant number of scars. I am basically scarred for life. But that's totally okay. Because you know what a scar is? A scar is a wound that has healed. That's the key thing. A scar is a wound that has healed. A scar is not a problem. Many of you have scars, they're way better than wounds. A wound hurts. A wound can get infected and fester. I don't want wounds. I'll take the scars. And it's forgiveness that turns wounds into scars. So God put me in a situation where I was surrounded by a lot of great people. I got a lot of encouragement. But there was also those things that really deeply hurt me. So he put me in a situation where forgiveness became an absolutely essential survival skill. And though I don't like to forgive because I'm not good at it, I had a lot of opportunity to practice it over the past 40 years. It's kind of an acquired taste. And I even started to enjoy it because getting rid of a grudge is so liberating. Free at last. Thank God Almighty, I'm free at last. It's like like having an uninvited guest leave. I mean, the money you save on the grocery bill alone could balance the church budget. So our forgiveness needs to be unilateral. We can't wait for people to apologize because most of them never will. But we forgive them anyway. So what's reasonable? Once a month? Maybe it's like, uh, like taking a shower. You know, we take a shower once a month whether we need it or not. Is that enough? Of course not. So for the sake of spiritual hygiene, the Bible recommends forgiveness much more frequently. It's actually before the close of business that day. Ephesians chapter 4 says, In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. You see, that's the uninvited guest right there. Don't let the sun go down. That's a lot harder to do in the winter, isn't it? The sun sets a lot earlier. It doesn't give us much time. But every day, we have opportunities to forgive one another the way God "...has forgiven us. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little, loves little." There is a direct cause and effect relationship between forgiveness and love. As long as there's forgiveness in a home, as long as there's forgiveness in a marriage, it will recover and eventually thrive... But when forgiveness runs out, the relationship can't survive. And that's precisely why God keeps forgiving us. Why he continues to forgive us. Not monthly, but moment by moment. Because he's determined that this relationship with us is going to be healthy That's why neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither heights nor depths nor anything else in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that's what brings us to this table. Here we gather to remember we gather here to remember those who have offended us and hurt us. No. We gather here to remember the one who has forgiven us. And remember that that forgiveness cost him his life. This table reminds us that God holds no grudges against us. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. We are totally forgiven, totally loved. We are 100% cured. And that is definitely worth celebrating. Amen? Father, thank you for your love. It's a love that includes massive amounts of forgiveness, like. Where sins are multiplied, your grace just immeasurably exceeds them all. We just thank you for that. We just rejoice in that. And thank you, Lord, that you also give us opportunities to forgive others. We may not like to do that at first, but as we begin to do that in faith and just allow you to uh, work through us, We find that's the thing that heals our relationships, our families, our marriages. Lord, thank you for the opportunities, even today that we have, to forgive as you have forgiven us. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.